Now, uh, with all of that said, we're coming this morning to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, and so I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 7. We are starting a brand new section in the book of Daniel this morning. Uh, the first half of Daniel, chapters 1 through 6, are a series of stories. Daniel chapter 7 and following is a series of visions and dreams that Daniel had, and so this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. I'm kidding. Uh, um, these are difficult passages, and so I want you to turn there, and as you turn there, uh, let me tell you a story about Elvis Presley. How's that for a change, right? <clears throat> and on Mother's Day, right? Uh, most people here know Elvis Presley, maybe except for the kids, but uh, you know that later in Elvis Presley's life, people like to do impersonations of Elvis Presley. There are still to this day Elvis Presley impersonators. Well, during his lifetime, um, there's a steakhouse slash bar that he liked to frequent in Nashville. It was Linda Thompson's Steakhouse. And he would go to this uh, steakhouse, and uh, one day he found out that they were actually going to be holding an Elvis Presley impersonator contest at the steakhouse. And uh, so, unbeknownst to anybody else except the owner, he decided to show up on that night and participate in the contest. No one knew that he was coming. No one knew that it was actually Elvis Presley. So he signs up. He shows up. Everybody goes through their performances, including Elvis Presley. Now remember, this is an Elvis Presley impersonator night, and Elvis Presley himself is there competing. They go through all the performers. The performances are all done, and then they go ahead and they announce the winners of the Elvis Presley impersonator contest. And lo and behold, coming in at a solid third place was Elvis Presley himself. <laughs> How was that possible? I mean, this was, no one should be able to do a better impression of Elvis Presley than Elvis Presley. But he came in third place. Why? Well, I think we can ascertain that the people that were there weren't expecting Elvis Presley to be performing on that night. So when everybody was going through their performances, they were looking for clues and things that might indicate that it was, you know, a good impersonation. But they failed on that day to see what was right there in front of them. The king himself was performing, and they blew it. They totally, totally missed it. Now, I share this with you because it's a good story. No, because today we come to Daniel chapter 7. And like I said, Daniel chapter 7 begins a series of visions and dreams that Daniel records for us that he had. And one of the things that you're going to be tempted to do as you read through these visions and as you hear these dreams is, number one, you're going to be like, what on earth is going on here? But then you're also going to do what a lot of people like to do is try and figure it out. You're going to look for things. When in reality, in so many of these visions and dreams that Daniel has, the clear and simple meaning of the vision is presented to you. And what I don't want us to do as a church is miss today what's going to be right in front of us because we're getting focused on the wrong things. We're looking for something else when, when the truth is right there. And, and the reason why I say this can be a temptation for us and that we could potentially miss it is because Daniel does himself in this very dream. And so that's what we're going to see. And with the help of the Lord, I believe, walk away today if we can just hear what God has to say, a message that will bring encouragement and hope to us. So we're going to need the Lord's help. So I'm going to ask that he do that. Would you pray with me? Lord, this is your word. We are your people 
apart from you speaking to us, Lord, we are going to be at a loss. But because we believe that you want us to know and hear from you, we believe that you will make it clear. So would you help us now in these moments? We pray and we ask for the praise and glory of your name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. All right, we're coming to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. I'm going to ask you the question, are you ready to learn? Are you ready to grow? You say that now. All right, let's go. Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. We're going to walk through the entirety of this vision, and then we're going to make some additional comments. It starts like this. Verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and vision of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Just stop right there. What's important for you and I to know as we hear from Daniel at this point is that this vision that we're about to read isn't happening chronologically in the book of Daniel. What I mean is Daniel 1 through 6 are telling a chronological order of Daniel's life and the experiences that he has. But if you notice... When he's telling us this dream took place, it took place during the reign of Belshazzar. So it took place before the events of chapter 6 and actually before the events of Daniel chapter 7. And so Daniel is now, after telling so many of the stories of his life, he's going backwards and he's saying, here are visions that I saw throughout my life. So this happens before the lion's den. This happens before the handwriting on the wall. So what did he see? He tells us, verse 2, I saw... In my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, the second one, like a bear... It was raised up on one side. It had ribs in its mouth, three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had Great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things." How's that for a vision, huh? (laughs) What is going on? What's Daniel seeing? Well, the first thing that we should note is that this doesn't seem like a, um, a dream that has sugar plums and lollipops. This seems more like a nightmare, doesn't it? It should feel to us like a nightmare because it does feel that way to Daniel. And one of the clearest ways that we know that it was probably feeling like a nightmare to Daniel was the fact that the very first thing he sees is the great sea. 
I want you to know something. In the ancient world, the, the sea, the ocean, in their case, the Mediterranean Sea, that was a place of chaos. That was a place of turmoil. It was the untamed places. And so if you saw the sea, either in a dream or even in real life, people were terrified of it. They didn't have the technology that we had. They couldn't master the sea. It was a scary place. And so then out of this place of chaos and turmoil, Daniel sees these very frightening beasts, these bizarre creatures, a lion with wings like an eagle, a deformed bear who has one side of its body bigger than the other, and it's, it's chewing on three ribs, and it's told to devour much flesh. He then sees a leopard with not one head, but four heads and four wings. And then finally, he sees a beast literally described only as, did you notice this? Its, its body isn't described. It's described only as terrifying, dreadful, and exceedingly strong. And it's got ten horns, three of which are eventually replaced by one lowly horn. So this is what Daniel sees. It's not clear up to this point what it all means or what it's all about. And, and we don't know anything about that yet because the dream's not done. Look at what it says in verse 9. His dream doesn't stop. As I looked, Daniel said, his perspective changes. Thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was firing flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and books were opened. Daniel goes from seeing terrifying beasts to seeing this, this throne room scene, this, this cosmic throne room with these thrones placed before him. And over and above the beasts, he sees one who comes, this Ancient of days, who comes and is seated above all others. And this ancient of days is unlike any of the other beasts. It's obvious to us that this ancient of days has, has a power and a control that exceeds all others. Just look at how his throne is described. Fire comes forth from him. He's clothed in white. His, his hair is like wool. And then he sees thousands of serving in his army, and tens of thousands of ten thousands, innumerable people, all devoted to him. Now we know from what Daniel has already said earlier in the book when he interpreted other people's dreams that there's only one person who would have this kind of authority. There's only one person who reigns like this overall. And so we can make a very, very certain declaration that this Ancient of Days is none other than God himself. This is God revealing himself, portraying an image of himself to, to Daniel. And before him are these books, and those books are going to come into play later. These books ultimately of judgment, they're not just found in this vision, they're found in other visions throughout the Old Testament, and then finally in the book of Revelation. And then something happens. As God is reigning, as fire is coming forth from his throne, as the books are open, as they're standing or sitting in judgment, verse 11 says, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, literally because of the boastful words of this little horn. And as I looked, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Yet nonetheless, they all 
come to destruction. This is what Daniel sees. He sees the glory of God on full display and then the judgment of God on full display against the beast. They seem to be powerful, but God is over them all. And after he destroys the beast, something truly fantastic happens. Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, this son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. With the beasts all eliminated, with the kingdoms ultimately all destroyed and no more, Daniel sees one come before the Ancient of Days who is described not like any of the beasts, but he's described as being like a son of man. The literal interpretation of this is a human being. But nonetheless, this is actually a profound title that is given to this one. We will know from the rest of scriptures that this son of man is none other than, guess who? Jesus Christ. And what's so remarkable about this son of man is he's described in two very important ways. Number one, he's described as being like a human being, being presented to God. But then it says, this son of man is given glory. And he is given the everlasting kingdom. Now, who does the everlasting kingdom belong to, folks? Who's the only one who has an everlasting kingdom? God. And the last time I checked the scriptures, God does not share his glory with anyone else but himself. So not only is this son of man a human being, but this son of man is also divine. That's why we know this son of man is none other than Jesus Christ. Because God shares his glory with this one, and God shares his kingdom with this one. We're going to talk some more about that Son of Man in just a moment. I'm getting ahead of myself, but nonetheless, the Son of Man comes, and after he comes, it seems like the vision is done. Verse 15 says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. By the way, I just kind of just, I love that. I love it. He's like, I'm, he's watching it and he can tell the people around and they see some guy and he's like, hey, can you tell me what's going on? What, what are we looking at? So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of things. You know, Daniel up to this point in the book of Daniel has been the one giving the interpretations. He's the one been telling people what the dreams meant. But every time that Daniel was able to give an interpretation of a dream, was it because Daniel was just the great dream truth teller? No, it was because God gave him the ability. So even here, when Daniel sees this vision, he can't automatically understand it. He has to get help. And fortunately for him and for us, he gets that help. And the man gives them an answer and tells them exactly what it was that he saw and what it means. How great is that? Just like he did for Nebuchadnezzar, just like he did for others, he's going to be speaking or receiving what it is this vision is all about. So here it is. And it's really simple. Verse 17, the interpreter speaks. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom 
forever, forever and ever. Daniel, this is the meaning of the dream. Everything that you saw, the crazy beasts, all of it boils down to one thing. Each beast represents a king and his kingdom. But one day, what happens to all those beasts in your vision, the fact that they are all destroyed, that's what's going to happen to all the kingdoms of the earth. And in their place, the people of God will reign forever, forever, and ever. This was the meaning of the vision. So simple, so straightforward. And what is so profound about this is that up to this point in the book of Daniel, when God's everlasting kingdom has been talked about, and it's been talked about numerous times, this is the first time with great clarity that Daniel as an exile is being told that we as the people of God will join in that reign with God forever, forever and ever. Could you imagine if you were someone who for all these years had been serving pagan kings to now not just speak this kind of message to a pagan king, but to hear it for yourself, that God himself would come to Daniel and say, I'm going to give you this vision, and I'm going to tell you what this vision means because I want you to be comforted. I want you to know that kingdoms will come and kingdoms will fall. They will all be destroyed, but you will reign with me forever, forever, and ever. I told you in the very beginning that while this was going to be a crazy vision, the truth of what this vision was intended to communicate to us would be actually quite simple. But then something happens. As I was studying this, I began to realize that, oh, would you look at that? Well, God just puts it out there on a silver platter and says, here's what I wanted you to take away from this vision. Daniel's not content. Daniel is still troubled in his spirit. Daniel is like, but, but what does this vision really mean, though? And the guy's like, I just told you this is what the vision meant. But Daniel, he shows us in what he says next that, well, look at this. He says, verse 19, then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast. Now, that should be bizarre to us. Because why? The interpreter just said, I told you all you need to know. The four beasts represent four kings. And what happens to them will happen to these kings, but you get the kingdom forever and ever. But Daniel's like, yeah, but the fourth beast, what, who's that exactly? Does that sound familiar? Does that sound at all like what we do sometimes with this? I think Daniel here is actually revealing all of our hearts when it comes to visions like these, there is a temptation for us to say, I want to know more. If you could just give me a little bit more, God, if we can just figure out who these beasts are, that will ultimately help us. That's what Daniel says here. In fact, look at what he says. I want to know more about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns and what were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them were um, fell, the, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. Like, I want to know more. Like, who exactly, though, is that? And I struggled with this as I studied this. I'm like, man... 
Daniel, who's been so courageous, he's really troubled here. Like, why wouldn't he just, God literally just told him what the vision is all about, but, but why does he want to know more? And then we see why he wants to know more, why he's actually so troubled, because there's one part of the vision that he left out in his first retelling of it. I, and I begin to sympathize with him. I begin to sympathize with him as far as why he wants to know more than what's given to him. And, and the answer is found in verse 21. Look at this. He says, as I looked, this is the part I didn't say in the first part of the vision, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints, with the people of God, and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time when the saints possessed the kingdom. See, this little piece of information that Daniel had not communicated in the beginning, what troubled him so much was that this fourth king, this, this last horn, he did something. He made war with the saints of God. That's nothing new because the other beasts will act in this way. But did you see that little word? What this beast did that troubled Daniel so much was that he prevailed. There was a way in which this final horn, this final king, treated the people of God in such a way that their destruction was, was so much more than all the others. And Daniel says, this troubled me. And so he goes back to the interpreter and he says, would you, would you just give me some more information? Why do you think he wants to know that? Why do we want to know more? I think Daniel thinks, if you just tell me maybe who that final king is and when that's going to happen, it will help me get through it. I really believe that's his motivation because that's often our motivation, isn't it? Just tell me. If we can just figure out the end, we can see it coming, we can be better prepared. That's, that's Daniel's motivation here, but, but is that what we really need? Do we need more information? Is that what will help us get through? Well, let's see how the interpreter answers. He comes back to Daniel and he says this, verse 23. Now listen carefully. Thus he said, All right, Daniel, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. Daniel's like, yeah, you already said that. Which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. Yep, he already told me that. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. Yeah, we already covered that. We already talked about it. As for the ten horns out of the kingdoms, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. Not telling me anything new, Daniel says. You already, we've covered this ground. Out of the ten kingdoms shall arise another that shall rise after them. He shall be different from all the other ones and shall put down three kings. Yeah, I saw the three get plucked and he's in, okay, but give me something new. He shall speak words against the Most High. Again, we've covered this. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. I already told you that he prevails against them. I know he's going to do bad things. And then he gives, for the very first time, some new information. But this is the only new information that he gives. And tell me, this answers it all, right? This tells us exactly who this guy is. Look at this, look at this. And shall think to change time and law, and they shall be given into his hands for a time's time and a half a time. Boom, there it is. Now I know who that final horn is, don't you? No, we don't know because it's not clear. He literally doesn't give Daniel any more information that would lead him towards specificity as to who this king is or when it's going to happen. The additional information that he gives him is about as vague as you can possibly get. He's going to try to change laws. What king doesn't try to change laws? What's this time, times, and a half a time? Listen, church, what we see here 
is the interpreter coming and saying to Daniel as gently as he can, you feel like if you just simply know more information about this person and when they're going to come about and who they are exactly, that that's going to get you through it all? Daniel, that's not what you need to hear. All that he does is simply just restate what Daniel already knew. But he does, church. He does, though, reiterate two things that are really important. Repetition in the Bible is important. Did you notice two of the things that he reiterates that pertain to us? Number one, he reiterates with very clear language that there will be a final king on the earth, a final ruler, one that we know in the book of Revelation is called the Antichrist. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. He's going to come up again in another vision in Daniel. There will be, at some point, a final king who will rise up against God and the saints. This will come to an end, but make no mistake, there will be a final one who comes. But when he comes, he will be destroyed. So, so he does say, like, listen, if you want to focus on something, yeah, focus on that. I'm not denying there will be one final, I will call him the Antichrist, as John does in the Revelation. But then he says something else. This one is less encouraging, but one that needs to be heard because he reinforces it. The people of God will experience some form of tribulation because of this one. Did you see that? The guy comes and the interpreter says, listen, he's going he's gonna to make hay. He's going to go against the people of God. He's going to cause problems for the people of God. And so here's where I need to say something that isn't too fun to say. Listen, church, whether it's Daniel here or John in the Revelation or Paul when he's writing to the Thessalonians, there is a truth that cannot be denied. And that is all the way to the end, the people of God will endure tribulation at the hands of evil kings. Your theology and my theology, because of what God's Word says here, must have room for understanding that until the end, God's people will suffer in some way, shape, or form. You can't get around the words that Daniel saw in his visions. This one final king made war against the saints and prevailed against them. But... To those saints was given a kingdom forever, forever, and ever. In the face of what lies ahead, this is what the interpreter gives to Daniel and gives to us. I believe, church, that if God wanted us to know and wanted Daniel to know who these kingdoms actually represented, who these beasts actually represented, he would have told us and made it abundantly clear. Instead, in this vision in particular, he is vague because that's not the point. The point isn't to know who these kings and kingdoms are because you know why? You know why I know that this isn't the point of that vision? Because in the very next chapter, Daniel receives another vision, and in that vision, which has rams and goats, God comes and specifically tells Daniel, you know who that ram represents? Well, let me tell you. You know who that goat represents? Let me tell you. He tells him exactly who it is. But in this vision, he doesn't do it because that's not the point of this vision. Instead, the point of this vision is verse 26. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion, the dominion of that little horn, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of this kingdom under the whole of heaven 
shall be given to the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here, Daniel says, is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel said, give me more, give me more. If I just knew more, that's what I really need. And the interpreter says, no, what you need is to hear one more time, one more time this profound truth. All the kingdoms of the earth will come to an end, but God's kingdom in which you will reign will be forever. See, church, here is the meaning of the vision. The meaning of the vision is simply God will defeat all who oppose him and will give his everlasting kingdom to the Son of Man and his people. Daniel chapter 7 exists in your Bible and my Bible. It exists as a vision for the people of God in exile to hear this truth, to take comfort in this truth, to not miss the tr this truth. That out there in the world, there are people that oppose God and oppose his people and who bring persecution against them. But that will all one day come to an end because God will judge. And when he judge is, and that judgment is done, he will give his kingdom to his people through the Son of Man. This is what Daniel needed to hear through this vision. This is what we need to hear. The great temptation when coming to Daniel 7 is to attempt to discover who the identity of these beasts of this passage are, but that's not the point. It's intended to remove our perspective from what we can see, to give us God's perspective on what is happening throughout human history and to come to this conclusion. Al Warden was a pilot for one of the Apollo space missions, Apollo 15. He was the one who, while the other guys went down onto the moon, he stayed in the capsule that circled the moon. And he talks about that experience and how he said for most of his life, he would gaze up at the stars and he would marvel at the stars. But he said, I realized on that space mission that my perspective was so narrow. You see, Al Warden is known as one of the loneliest men to ever live. The reason why he got that title was because while he was circling the moon, his compatriots who were on the face of the moon, well, he was 2,200 miles away from them as he circled the moon. There's no human being anywhere you can go in this world where you're 2,200 miles further from somebody else. Are you tracking with me? So while he was in space, he was the furthest that any human being had been from any other human being at one given time. Are you following me? So he's out there. He's all alone. He's circling the dark side of the moon. And he said, when I came around the dark side of the moon, I looked. And because the light of the sun was blocked by the shadow of the moon, ultimately, he said, I looked and I beheld stars in a way I had never seen stars before. I couldn't even make out constellations because of all of the stars that came into my vision. Instead, he said it was like a sheet of stars. He said, in that moment, my perspective it changed. I'd always marveled at space, but understanding the vastness of space fully came into perspective when I was given a vision of the heavens in that way. Daniel chapter 7 is intended for the people of God, not as a puzzle. This isn't a chapter that we're supposed to try and figure out how the pieces all work together. 
because the stated purpose is just right there in the middle. Instead, God is giving us a picture. He's wanting to expand our vision so that we as the people of God can see so very clearly what's happening out in the world all around us and so that we don't lose heart and so that we don't lose our and become discouraged, but instead we can engage in the kingdom even while things roam wild. You see, you and I can know if we've really taken in this vision, if we've taken this message to heart, because there's kind of four things I'm going to share really quickly that this vision should ultimately do. The very first one is this. You can know that you're having the vision that God has intended for us if, number one, you see that the kingdoms of this world are like beasts. The kingdom of this world are like beasts. One of the things that God is doing in giving Daniel and, and us perspective, he says, look at these kingdoms. Look at how they look like beasts. Because from my perspective, that's what kings and kingdoms look like who don't serve me. That's what kings and kingdoms function like when they are not my image bearers. We talked about this with Nebuchadnezzar. The kingdoms of this earth are continually described in beastly ways because from God's perspective, if you fail to bear his image then you're no different than the beasts. We're designed as human beings to, to reflect his character and his nature to those around us. When we don't do that, we're no different than the beasts. We don't use this much in America, but in Great Britain, you'll hear somebody say something like this, oh, they're acting very beastly, right? Because in Great Britain, right, like they get it. The, the, the English, they're like beastly behavior. Well, they say it's beastly behavior because we're not acting like humans. Daniel says, when you and I look at the kingdoms of this world and we see how rulers use their authority, not for the building up and for the good of others, but use power to serve their own needs, when you see them degrading humanity, when you see what Pol Pot did when the Rwanda genocide happened, when Nazi Germany's doing its thing, when North Korea is functioning the way that it's functioning, when you're seeing people in Muslim countries being caned just for simply proclaiming the gospel and then being killed for it, like all of that behavior, God says it shouldn't surprise you because the kingdoms of this world are beasts. In fact, I will sometimes hear Christians say this. Now, not people in this church because you guys are great, but other churches, other people like other Christians. <clears throat> I'll see them talk about something that happened in the news and they'll be like, I was so shocked. I couldn't believe it. And they're just, they're dumbfounded. They're, they're paralyzed when they hear the news of this atrocity or that atrocity happening. I'm here to tell you, we as Christians should be the least shocked and surprised people in the entire earth. When people are surprised by depraved behavior of others, I'm like, read your Bibles. This tells us you should expect nothing less. Because as lovingly as I can say it, you're all depraved. And I am too, apart from the grace of God transforming us back into his image bearers. We look at the kingdoms of this earth and they behave like beasts because that's who they are. You give depraved people power and they'll use it in depraved ways. But in light of that, even when the beasts seem to be in control, God is reigning. When Daniel gets pulled back, he first sees the beast, but then he sees these thrones set up and plopped on the throne before everybody else is God clothed in white. His hair is like wool. He's on his throne and he is reigning. Even when beasts seem to be in control, God is reigning. 
In fact, I love that picture of the Ancient of Days. There was this comic writer, uh, Gary Larson, who did the Far Side. Do you guys remember the Far Side comic back in the day? He gave this picture. Let's see if we can get it up on the screen. Have, all right. Most people, they'll talk about God looking like this. Do you know where people get this image of God? Daniel chapter 7. The ancient of days. But God's not an old God, right? Just like sitting there in the heavens. You know, he is pure. He is white. That, that whiteness of his hair and of his robes, it communicates his purity. And Daniel's coming and saying, when you look at everything that's happening, even when it seems like the beasts are running wild, God is reigning. God is reigning. And not only is God reigning, but at the end of the day, all kings and kingdoms will be judged and punished by God. All kings and all kingdoms will be judged and punished by God. He's like, no matter what it looks like, I'm reigning and I'm in control. I'm not just simply the king. I'm judge, jury, and executioner. All those flames that flow from his throne, those flames aren't there to keep people warm. Those flames that are flowing, we see in the vision, are designed to ultimately bring about the destruction of the wicked. Which forces me to pause in this moment and say, listen, I just said to us that the kingdoms of this world and the kings of this world act like beasts because they're sinners. But this kind of judgment isn't just reserved for great kings, is it? I told you just a moment ago that apart from God doing something for us, we're all depraved. So the same judgment that comes to the people who oppress the people of God is the same judgment that we all experience apart from God's grace. And so we take this seriously that judgment exists and God will put forth his judgment. But here's the great hope of this passage. Through the Son of Man... Through the Son of Man, we see in this passage that God will establish an everlasting kingdom for His people. Through this one who comes, God issues forth His judgment, but how are we able to reign and rule with God? How are we able to engage in this kingdom forever and ever and ever? It says that one comes like a son of man and God gives to him his kingdom and through this son of man, the kingdom is also passed on to the rest of God's people. And this son of man, as I said earlier, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. You know, it was only a few short years after Daniel had this vision that one day he was told that he could no longer pray to his God or he would be thrown into a lion's den. You sometimes wonder where Daniel got his boldness to keep praying to his God even when faced with capital punishment. I believe it was because Daniel caught the true meaning of this vision. Because Daniel could see clearly that the kingdom of Persia, the kingdom of Babylon, they weren't going to last forever, but that Daniel was going to be a part of an everlasting kingdom. Daniel, though, had a hope that was looking forward, forward to the coming of the Son of Man, forward to the day when, when final judgment would come and, and he would reign with the people of God forever. But church, we don't have that forward-looking faith. See, we have the backwards-looking faith for Jesus Christ himself when confronted and said, who are you? He came and he spoke and they asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, 
I am, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus Christ, church, is the Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7. Jesus Christ, through his life, burial, death, resurrection, he is the one who has, as this passage said, begun to conquer the kingdoms of this world and to establish his everlasting kingdom. Jesus came and said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You and I, Daniel had a great hope. Daniel knew that he should not fear, but you and I all the more so look to Jesus Christ as the Son of Man who has established his kingdom through his death and resurrection. And that's why we say, we should not fear not, church. We should not fear. Today, we live with terrifying beasts in this world. They're not going away anytime soon. Today, we live as those who potentially experience persecution. Today, we live in an uncertainty of when the end will come, just like Daniel. But today, there is one thing that we hold certain, and that is that Jesus Christ is on his throne. The fullness of his reign is not yet experienced it, experienced yet, but that's why he said, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Because the day is coming, and everyone who does not bow their knee to Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior of all will experience the judgment of Daniel 7. But every single person who puts their faith and trust in him, and if that's you here today, then praise the Lord, because you will reign with him forever, forever, and ever. What shall we fear? What shall we fear with this hope? The answer? Nothing. Nothing. And so we as the people of God cling to this vision, cling to the simplicity of it, longing to know when that day will come, but knowing that no one knows, not even the Son of Man, the day or the time, but knowing that when it comes, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to you, we recognize that our hearts, like Daniel, still experience things in this world that cause us to be unsettled. Lord, I admit to you even today, even as I've studied these things, Lord, I speculate who these kings and kingdoms might be. Lord, my heart goes there. But Lord, I thank you that even as my heart begins to speculate, you come back to me and you come back to all of us and say, but don't forget the message. Don't miss what is right in front of you. And so help us not to miss what is right in front of us, that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man who has come. The kingdom has begun. Sin and death and hell, they've been defeated. And so until you return fully in your glory, O oh Lord, help us to proclaim to a world the hope that exists. And let us not to walk in fear, but in faith with our eyes fixed on the throne room of heaven, for the praise and glory of your name and for the good of our souls, we ask it. And all God's people said, amen, amen.